Did you see that? That's a common refrain you say when you're driving in a car or watching a sporting event or even walking down a street in New Orleans. Simply put, seeing is believing. The same can be said for cybersecurity. Seeing is believing, especially when you really don't know, have a clear idea on everything operating on the plant floor, and then understanding that something is not right and it appears an attack is ongoing. That is where a visibility tool comes into play. Yes, there are visibility tools out there, but as attacks are becoming more sophisticated, a tool has to be just as sophisticated. But at the same time, it has to be easy to use. In other words, the industry needs to learn to simplify complexity. Hello, my name is Greg Hale, and welcome to another Today with ISS Source podcast. With us today is Peter Lund, Vice President of Products OT Security at OpsWAT. He's responsible for overseeing and managing OpsWAT's OT and industrial cybersecurity business unit. Today, we're going to discuss how to see all your OT assets and then understand how to protect them. Peter, welcome. Thanks, Greg. Great to be on here with uh, ISS Source and Asset Visibility, something I've been focused on for uh, a long time, and I'm thrilled to share my thoughts about it. All right, great. And well, we'll start off with, you know, we all know there are plenty of choices out there when it comes to asset management and visibility tools. And it's difficult to cut through all the marketing jargon that's hitting the industry. But from your perspective, what are users or asset owners, what are they looking for? That's a great question, Greg. So there's certainly been a fantastic rise of you know visibility solutions over the last, say, five years. And really what I'm kind of seeing is folks have tried things and now they're looking for solutions that are easy to use and provide you know rapid business value. And what we mean here is you know, visibility is one thing and you know providing a decent network map of connectivity, but you really need to kind of think further around what's your goal for the solution. Are you using it to be uh, compliant against the standard? Are you using it for you know asset and change management? Is it around you know complying with internal audits, or you're just really looking to understand your environment and some of the operational concerns? And really, people aren't looking for solutions that are going to be generating a lot of noise or overload them with data to the point where the tool isn't providing a whole lot of value. So it's really making sure we extract kind of business value up front, understand what the use case is, what the problem a customer is trying to solve. Certainly a lot of marketing has been done to say, you know, put in this asset visibility solution and, and all your problems go away. But asset visibility is just kind of that step one to maturing your cybersecurity posture, right? And, and from there, it kind of goes into the, the people and process side. And that's where I see a lot of people not getting to kind of post visibility. Mm -hmm. Now, when it comes to this asset management visibility tool, I, you know, I've heard over the years that it's often used to discover what an asset owner really has out there on the plant floor. And as a side note, it's usually that's quite a discovery. They find out they have much more out there than they really have. But does that really evolve into using it? to become a visibility tool or does it often end with uh and just being an asset discovery tool yeah so certainly in you know many pocs and initial deployments we have found lots of surprises over the years some of my favorites have been i forgot about that environment that was my backup control center and you know the person in charge of it retired 
and we kind of all forgot it was there. We don't use it very often. Or finding that the building automation system or building management system is on the same network as an energy management system. So a lot of big kind of no-nos that you quickly find and you immediately start to get value out of the tool and understanding. And it's for a lot of different reasons. You've got you know many different OEMs in your environment. Imagine you've got say Siemens and Schneider Electric and GE all there making changes and doing things, you know, quarter after quarter, year after year. And you start to lose your understanding of the visibility of your environment. That nice network diagram that you made on commissioning day or during fat or sat testing is no longer accurate. And that's where you need to keep that visibility tool running to go beyond that initial, wow, here is everything and here's all the things. It's highlighting all the things you're doing wrong. And then really, as I kind of mentioned in that kind of first point is it turns into people and process and then other solutions. So you might find that you've got poor protection when it comes to segmentation against the Purdue model or someone set up, you know, secure remote access or maybe remote access that isn't secure or maybe a vendor installed, you know, a 4G card for monitoring operational data. Now you have visibility to all that. The key there is take that data you learned in your visibility project, continue to use it to run an asset management program, not just a product, but knowing why something changed and then making sure you can disposition it and communicate it throughout the organization. And that's really kind of those next steps is everyone gets super excited when they're at the beginning of their visibility journey. And then excitement kind of tapers off unless you have a really good people and process program around what you're going to do with that data, the visibility tool shows you. Mm -hmm. Now, it's become a cliche to say it is not if, but when an attack occurs. But there are reasons why cliches become cliches, because that's there's an element of truth behind them. So with that in mind, I mean, how can an asset management tool, one, fight off an attack, and two, help prevent an attack? I think I'll take those in reverse order, because I think they provide more prevention on the prevention front. And it's really showing you the holes and gaps and weak points in your network, in your architecture, showing you vulnerabilities, showing you old versions of firmware, showing assets that may be communicating across the ITO tree boundary, or maybe your air gap has been compromised. And that's where we kind of get into prevention as visibility shows you all these things. And then you've got to go and actually put in corrective controls, you know, additional firewalls and things. When we get into the, you know, the active incident response and fighting off an attack tools, visibility and asset management tools are great ways to see how far an attack has actually come. If you look at things like Colonial Pipeline and other attacks where the primary breach was on the IT side of the house, if they had a good visibility and asset management solution kind of sitting at the edge of IT and OT, they would have been able to easily see that attack cross that boundary and then know that their OT system was one, still intact, and two, they could further segment it to keep operations running. Mm -hmm. And it really just kind of lets you kind of track an attacker's path in real time or kind of help you unwind what had happened so you can further secure your environment for next time around. Okay. In this age of baby boomers aging out and fewer experts coming into the industry. Plus, 
the end result of the pandemic. IT and OT appear to be converging as part of an evolution people have been talking about for years. Also, it's out of necessity. So how can this tool, how can this asset management visibility tool help close the gap between the two, those two areas, you know, the IT and OT side? Yeah, convergence is certainly a hot topic. And I know there's lots of folks who kind of take either sides of the debate. And I kind of put myself closer to the convergence side where things like asset visibility solutions, you know, having to enable remote access during the pandemic are naturally converging things together. And I kind of look at it more of a, you know, we need to have a data sharing infrastructure sharing arrangement in the places and spots that make sense. And this is where IT and OT need to learn a bit from each other. And the nice thing about these tools is you can now have the OT team getting visibility into not only their assets, but threats and access patterns. And then they can compare that to what the folks on the IT side are seeing with their tools. And as we look at some of the more mature organizations, they're taking data from both tool sets, IT and OT, and putting those into converged IT, OT SOC, which is you know a bit of security panacea, but there are some large organizations who are starting to get there. Certainly the IT side has gotten things like change management down really well, securing endpoints really well, and we can start to take cues from that on the OT side. Mm -hmm. And then as far as what IT can learn from OT, it's really around understanding the availability of a process, getting them to understand that we can't just change things and it has to be a journey. We have to make sure we're keeping things like environmental health and safety in mind and really getting people to understand how their business works from a OT infrastructure standpoint, because it is, can be very complex. You know, it's funny, I've always heard over the years that, you know, in terms of what they are doing, OT and IT in terms of security isn't that much different, but where the problem always comes into play is language. Like IT speaks one language, OT speaks another language. And I'm not sure if that's right or not, but that's what I always heard. But now, in this environment where, you know, it's more converging, does this force OT and IT to work closer together where operators are kind of like the first line of defense? And then if there's an issue where they think there's an issue, does that then elevate up to IT um, security professionals taking over from there? Yeah, so they definitely need to work closer together and they certainly have always worked together in a quasi, we'll say quasi adversarial or uh, <laughs> we'll say cold shoulder type way. Yeah. So a traditional inquiry from IT would be, hey, I saw this, this specific vulnerability. It's related to Java. Now, are you guys using that anywhere on the, on the OT side? And, you know, the answer comes back is, you know, yes or no, or I don't know. And they go off on a, you know, multi-week journey to figure out the answer to that question only to realize that it doesn't apply or the vulnerability has already changed three times since the first time you know we talked about it and the scope is either wildly increased or decreased so enabling both these teams with tools that can kind of close that loop faster kind of gets rid of some of the frustration and kind of can build trust between those teams because you can get security intel and signals from either side and having that information sharing is very very important especially when it comes down to do we need to segment and pull the plug between these two environments because one or both have become untrusted and that's a very very difficult decision that you need to have buy-in on both sides mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, their goals on both sides is to um, you know defend against any kinds of attacks. But I've read industry experts say that ransomware attacks are the biggest threat facing asset owners today. And while I know they're huge and dangerous, I'm thinking there are other kinds of attacks that everybody has to be aware of, like supply chain attacks or insider attacks, or even and not necessarily attacks, but misconfigurations of all the devices that are out there. They are all just as big. And I don't know. I mean, how how can a tool help prevent or avoid these types of attacks? Yeah, that's a great question, Greg. So it's really around kind of a level of impact. So certainly ransomware is the biggest and kind of most likely thing to happen. You know, this is primarily driven by, you know, ransomware gangs and ransom as a service, but ultimately they're looking for a payout and hopefully a quick payout, right? And Mm -hmm. potentially, you know, even additional payouts down the road when they, they leave themselves to persist in the environment. But really the more impactful threats are kind of the ones you mentioned around you know, supply chain or insider attacks. And that's where folks aren't looking for a quick payout. They're actually looking to, to damage an environment, hurt people, impact stock prices or mergers and acquisitions. Those are certainly more impactful than say a, a 50 or 100K you know, ransomware payout. And where the tools come in is really providing one early visibility to that attack. So has the ransomware spread from IT to OT or know, has someone just changed the the ladder logic of a PLC or the firmware version, you know, of an RTU, or did someone just open up a new port that leaves us open to attack? And really all those things help you respond quicker as opposed to having uh, no visibility where you're kind of relying on operator memory or everyone to make sure that they've pushed the right buttons in the right sequence to keep things running. So it's really around kind of early warning systems, one to like that earlier question, you know, how do we prevent these attacks? Well, if we can have better visibility than our adversaries do, we can close down those holes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, artificial intelligence is the rage today. And everybody's always talking about AI and we all know it's becoming a bigger component within the industry, but how does that play into an asset management visibility tool? Yeah, so AI is really about a shortcut to getting actionable data and intelligence out of your platform, whether it be a communication pattern anomaly, whether it becomes a version of firmware. So perhaps you've got 100 PLCs and all of them have the same firmware except for one. Why is that? Did that one get missed? Did that one get downgraded? Did it get upgraded? Has it been compromised? It's really finding those needles in the haystack, which requires you know us as humans to manually go through large reams of data and pick out those things and it's certainly very possible the trick with ai is to get really good models that you can train and it's really hard to do that as many different ot environments even within the same company can change so you may have two manufacturing lines or two you know pipelines using the same oem vendors the same ladder logic, but ultimately have different digital footprints when it comes to the machine learning. And that's where we really have to marry up the tribal knowledge of the OT environment with those models to help them kind of cut down the noise. Because oftentimes, you know, a misconfigured or poorly configured AI engine 
can actually make more noise and provide more of a an alert overload to folks looking at those tools. So it's something you have to be careful with and you have to come at it with a good understanding of your environment. So you want to make sure that learning period for your AI is long enough and that the operators are actually building their own thoughts and insights into these models. Mm -hmm. Is that added intelligence able to put things such as misconfigurations or vulnerabilities and attacks for that matter into proper context or is it just this rush of information coming at the operator? Yeah, so it does feel very much like a rush kind of in the early days of some of the AI solutions they were using, you know, models that don't well understand, you know, the, the nature of, of OT and it can be overwhelming and really it's about slowing down and understanding your environment before you kind of turn the models on because you get kind of double overwhelmed. So it's, I didn't know this is what my environment looked like. And now the AI engine is telling me I have all these problems. And as I start to pile through them, they're not specifically problems or that is part of the model, but really putting it into context with the operational data is how you can make some changes. So if you see, for example, you know, operators making a shift change and the AI is telling you that there's a new communication pattern every time there's a shift change, well, that shift change incurs people logging in and logging out of systems and potentially authenticating back against things like domain controllers. After you see a few shift changes, that becomes kind of normal and part of that pattern. So it's really where you really want to kind of partner with your vendor. And, you know, machine learning is tricky to do out of the box. And you've got to have good skills and vendors to help you kind of tune to your environment and what matters to you, right? Because mm -hmm. not everyone has the same business objectives when it comes to how they want to do machine learning and AI. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm going to shift gears just slightly here. And you talked about this, I think, a little bit earlier. But, you know, depending on what industry you're in, uh, regulations and compliance are also, you know, huge areas to cover. How does this kind of tool help in that regard? And does it save time and potentially money at, in the end? Yeah, so that's a, a question that's wrapped up into so many different uh, thoughts around regulation. But a couple of things I can say is that regulations, good, bad, or indifferent, are all based on well-known and widely accepted security standards, whether it be you know NIST or NERC. And fundamental to all of them, generally very early on in the standards, is you need to know your assets. You need to understand your networks. You need to know the communication patterns. You need to know how your assets are changing and you need to be able to provide, you know, attestation as to what changed, when, and why. Mm -hmm. And that's where these tools really come in to help you save time. Because as we've seen the market evolve when we began, everything was very manual. Lots of folks recording information on spreadsheets, doing physical walkdowns. There we saw IT solutions get deployed in the OT side to help automate some of this. Lots of customization and scripting to get them to be safe for those OT environments. And now we're kind of into the third wave of we've got some great OT solutions for visibility and inventory. And when deployed properly, you can really basically be ready for an audit at the push of a button. It's as simple as, okay, you need to know my inventory and my changes in environment between which two times or at what point in time, you simply call up that time stored in the tool and the database. You have a great head start on your audit evidence there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, and 
it's always nice to talk about the issues about all the visibility and asset management, but we like to leave our listeners with uh, some best practices they can employ to help them. So with that in mind, do you have maybe, I don't know, five elements or areas an asset owner can uh, look at in terms of looking at an asset management and visibility tool? Yeah. So let's maybe start with my favorite part is methods for data collection. So some tools are very much active. Some tools are passive in nature. Others employ a combination. And really, you need to take a hard look at your environment and understand with your vendors and your OTT team what methods of asset discovery, visibility, and management are acceptable. Because you'd hate to buy a solution that relies heavily on active monitoring and then realize that active querying the environment isn't something that is acceptable. Or if you go to deploy a passive monitoring solution in an environment that's primarily running you know, secure protocols, you won't be able to learn very much around your assets and their firmware versions. So you do need to have almost a bit of a paper inventory or a thought to begin your process, but it really boils down to the methods that are allowed. And then second to that is the devices and protocols and deployment model that it supports. Is it something that's you know easy to unbox and set up? Or is this a little bit more complicated like a traditional IT tool or a SEM that requires kind of lots of care and feeding. Piggybacking on that number three is no matter what tool you purchase, you want to make sure you have the ability to do data augmentation and even some manual asset creation in the tool. Because no matter what tool and what environment, there always is going to be some form of a gap when it comes to data collection, or I can't get my sensor to this side of that network or to the other side of the air gap. And you know, it's not a cost effective to put a sensor at every single location. So I'm going to load some manually created assets or some spreadsheet data in here. And that's kind of something that people need to think about as part of their plan. For number four, make sure you have reporting built in, reporting for whatever standards or objectives that you, you or your organization needs. The worst thing I've seen is you, you get your visibility tool and then you get excited when it comes audit time. And now you're taking either screenshots or manually copying and pasting data out of the tool and putting it into reports to satisfy the audit. And that's almost as much work as doing it manually without a tool. So make sure you have that covered. And then lastly, integration with other systems. So as we talked about that ITOT convergence is paramount and happening and folks want to see the data from OT. They want it in their corporate SIM. They want it in their change management system. They want kind of global oversight of IT and OT is kind of the panacea of CISOs now. So make sure you've got something with strong integration capabilities built in so that you're not having to build that on your own or disappointing the the IT side after you make your investment in the security tool of choice and it doesn't provide for collaboration. Okay. Well, Peter, I appreciate you taking the time and that's about all the time we have for today. And so thank you for sharing your thoughts. And so for Peter Lund, this is Greg Hale saying thank you for listening to another Today with ISS Source podcast. Thanks, Greg. Great to be on.